0: So, um, we all know that kid, right? Maybe you were the kid, maybe, that opened your Christmas present on Christmas morning. Um, You're all excited. It's the moment you've been waiting for and you've been eyeing off this present for weeks. Maybe you even had a sneaky look at your Christmas present, sort of opened a little bit. And now is the moment you open your present and... uh, you're not, it's not what you thought it was going to be. Then you look over at your brother or sister's gift and you think, oh, they got the better gift. Now, that might be true, right? They may actually have the better gift. Uh, But then you get this feeling inside of disappointment. Um, So much so that you don't really appreciate what you've just opened anymore even though it might be amazing. And so today we're, we're um, having a look at this world that God has made. And the question is, are we disappointed or are we appreciating the gift that it is? We're looking at God's provision for us, God's provision for the man he makes in Eden. And, but sometimes our lives, our situations, our stuff, we feel like we're getting a raw deal, don't we? Sometimes, maybe we look at our car, then we look at our neighbor's car and we think they've got the more fuel efficient car, right? You talk to your friend and their career is going forward in leaps and bounds and they're just making their way up the career ladder, but you're stuck. You don't, you can't get a break. Your pay rise that you hope for never comes. Or you're scrolling through your phone and you start sort of dreaming about all the things that you see, maybe there's um, the Google algorithm or the um, Instagram algorithm knows that you wanna go on holiday and it's showing you all these beautiful places, but you're stuck here and you can't get out. (laughs) Maybe you start dreaming of the new toy, the better house, the better body, the clothes that you don't have, the holiday. If only, is the thing we say, you know, isn't it? If only, then I'd be more happy. Ingratitude really does um, eat away at us sometimes, I think. Um, it's a human problem, a sinful problem we have. And this is why when we look at Genesis chapter 2, this is such good news for us. It lifts our eyes off our, ourselves and our kind of our... Our, our dour, ingratitude, whingingness to what God actually has provided for us. Right here in the beginning of this planet, the world, we find God is the, the provider, isn't he? And in this, in him is the cure for our ingratitude. To see what God actually does here and in our lives today shows us that we have so much to be thankful for. God is the provider in material ways, which we see particularly here today, but ultimately he provides the greatest gift of all, and I'm sure you can guess what it is, the Lord Jesus. We have many reasons to give thanks. So we're looking at God's provision in three points, Uh, God's provision of life, God's provision of food, God's provision of beauty, and Let these words in Genesis chapter 2 fuel your praise and gratitude to the God who gives so much to us. So, first of all, we see that God provides life. He's the one who gives life. It's from Him. Look at verse 4. Verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. When the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the man became a living being. So if chapter 1 was uh, kind of the bird's eye view, maybe the plain view, and you're looking down from the window seat at the world below... And chapter 2 is the street-level view. You're in it. You see? You're seeing what God is doing in his creation. And what do we see here? God is active. He's active, isn't he? He's purposely making things. He's um, Perhaps it's like when you make a card for someone's birthday. Uh, My kids do this. They draw a picture on the card and they write out a lovely message. You'll get mum and dad to write a lovely message. What do they do? They put thought into what they're making. And so it is with what God is doing here. He's putting real thought and care in his, into his design for the world. God gets to work. And what does he do? He doesn't create a second-rate world, does he? No, he puts care into it. God makes a place that is designed for the man to live in. God builds a home for the man to live in and to work in. And this home really is paradise, isn't it? It's quite literally paradise and you just want to breathe it in that's what i want to do anyway so verse 6 god waters the land and he kind of turns the irrigator on doesn't he and this water the water's come up under the, from under the ground an underground water source and there's water everywhere through this passage the name eden by the way means a place where there is abundant water supply that's what eden means So if you look in verses 10 to 14, you also have more water. We have these rivers flowing out from Eden. Water flows down from the mountainous Eden across the whole world, really. So verse 11, you have the Pishon 13, you have the Gihon then the Tigris and the Euphrates. And they all flow out of the headwater in Eden. They flow out to the four corners of the earth. Water, what is it? What's this about water? Why is there so much um, so much about water here? Because water is about life. Water is about life. God provides water. He is the source of life, and it's flowing out of this, this temple garden that God makes in Eden. And if you remember the reading we just had in Revelation 21, you have lots of water there as well, you see? And water is in the new creation, the new creation version of Eden. God is the source of life. That's what Genesis is showing us. The rivers, they're like arteries that snake their way through the world, pumping the blood, pumping the water to the world the weather, where it's needed. I mean, we even get this in our rather damp place of Tasmania, right? There's lots of water around here. But if if you think about the desert, it needs water. Think about the desert after the rains come. In the the Australian desert, what does the the desert look like after the rains come? It looks like flowers and greenery and life. You see, God is the source of this, this life in the world. He's providing that. But God also provides life in another way. Verse 7. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. A living being. I know some people here have tried pottery classes lately. Has anyone tried pottery class? Um, And like a potter shapes the clay, that's the image here we have of God forming the man. Right in the original language, um, in the Hebrew, the man is the Adam, created from the Adamah, the word for ground. You see the connection. The Adam is from the Adamah. Human beings are dusty. We're earthy. We're dust creatures. We're made from the from the ground. God breathes, verse 7. God breathes, and this is dusty, earthy, clay man is brought to life. So, the breath of God is the Holy Spirit. The breath of God brings life. The point is this God is the reason there's life in this world. God is the reason. It's an amazing yet and humbling thought, isn't it, to think that our very, our very heartbeats, our breath is because God brings this life into our bodies. Isaiah 37 says, God is the living God. Acts 17 says, in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. In many ways, our lives, are, our, li- our lives are just borrowed from God. We have a beginning, we have an end, an earthy end anyway, from dust to dust. So what does it mean for us to think that God is the source of life? What does it mean? It means surely that we, we kind of depend on God, not kind of, we do depend on God, whether we realise it or not. We are dependent creatures. Um, But so often I live life as though I'm a free spirit. I forge my own path, fiercely independent, achieving my own plans. My dependency is something I, I kind of forget, but that is not how it's meant to be. We do life only because God has made us alive. Our very breath is dependent on the Lord. God had to breathe to bring life into the man. We're only alive because God has created us to be alive. And so if this is true, and it is, we should actively depend on the Lord. Jesus teaches us about this in Matthew chapter 18. And he says, truly I tell you, lest you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We're not independent. We're to be humble. We're to be calm like children. And and the point that Jesus makes here is that, that children depend on their parents. This is to be us. We ought to be like kids. And it means going to God daily. It means being seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to, to be strengthened, to be helped to get through our daily lives. It means praying that the, 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 that work thing, even the quick, the quick prayer before you get to the meeting, um, We need praying to the Lord to help help you see that you're not the saviour to fix the problems of the world. It means asking God for things, for help, for wisdom, for faith in times of doubt. If our very lives depend on the Lord, and they do, we ought to live dependently on Him. So that's really the first point. God provides life now secondly god not only provides life but he also provides us provides for us in an ongoing way really here in genesis we learn that god is both creator and the sustainer of all things he sustains he looks after what he makes and this is shown here in the way that god plants the garden let's have a look at verse 8. now the lord god had planted a garden in the east in eden And there he puts the man he'd formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the garden, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll stop there. So what is Eden? Eden is this temple garden. It's a sanctuary. And we get hints right through, not more than hints. We see right through temple language in this passage and when you think about this garden, don't think about a few shrubs and some dead pot plants and chooks. Don't think of that sort of garden. It's about, that's a bit like my garden. This garden is a royal garden. This is a, a royal garden. In ancient times, gardens... Who had gardens? The kings had gardens. Walled gardens. So Eden is a royal garden. It's a, it's a park. This is God's place on earth where man is, if you notice there, put, he's placed in it to live with God, to meet with God, to walk with God, to serve God, to worship God. And so um, we'll get to the tree of life and the tree of knowledge next week. I won't talk about it today. But notice there, what is Eden like, this garden in Eden? What is it like? Verse 9, God plants an arboretum. See, he plants all kinds of trees. But what kind of trees? Notice that God plants trees, see there, that are good for food. Good for food. He provides food for the man. This is also mentioned in chapter 1 at the end of the chapter, verse 29. Read that out. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food and also. So what, why, why is God saying that he's providing food and saying it again? <laughs> why is he saying that? The point is, God looks after what He makes, doesn't He? God is looking after that which He creates. He's both the creator and sustainer. God doesn't say, go off and fend for yourself, go scratch around in the cupboard, try and find something. No, he, the cupboard is overflowing, the pantry's overflowing in Eden. God, God sets up the garden, indeed this, the whole world, out of his goodness, to provide in an ongoing way. And he continues to do it today, if we have eyes to see it. Now, maybe you might think that God is out there somewhere, he's not really, but he's not really interested in our lives. He doesn't really care about the emails, the calls, the, the bus stops, the car breaking down, the day-to-day stuff. But no, the God of the the Bible, who puts the stars into space in chapter 1, Jesus says he knows the hairs on your head. He knows, as the psalm says, when you're awake and when you sleep. He knows your comings and your goings. So kids, when you get to school this week and you open your lunchbox, think about this, or have a drink of your drink bottle, Think about this. God is providing for you. Isn't that amazing? Yes, mum and dad might have put that in there or bought it for you. But through your mum and dad, God is providing for you. He's looking after you. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says, God is working all things after the counsel of His will. God is actively involved in this world. He's not far off and distant. He is present. He's with us right now by the Holy Spirit. And this means, without a shadow of a doubt, that God knows what we need, food or otherwise. So as we look at Eden, chapter 2 of Genesis... We kind of long for that time. I do anyway. We're not in Eden anymore. We're not in this garden. We rightly sense the world is not like this. You know, just look around and I'm sure you know and have met people who are doing it rough and, and hard at the moment. There's so much need around us. But please don't think that this is because, because God has forgotten or doesn't care or that God isn't looking after the world. No, the problem is sin. That's why there's need in the world. Sin works its way into every corner of life, our lives and even into society. You know, we're not meant to go hungry. That's not the way God made the world. People aren't meant to starve. It's not meant to be like that. God made the world to feed. He's the provider of food. And yet we find so much need. Now, whether it's uh, because of greed or addiction or the availability of food or just maybe not enough money. As Christians, as people who follow Jesus, as Christ followers, we ought to care deeply about needs, material or otherwise. The material needs of our neighbours are our concern. We're not in Eden anymore. And despite us, despite our sin, despite our rebellion against God, our Creator, God still cares for the world. Think about that. God still cares for this world. The Lord Jesus, as the book of Hebrews says continues to uphold the world every day by the word of his power. So, think about what God has provided for you. Think about that. What are you having for tea tonight? Have you got something planned for tea? Dinner? Is it chips and dimmies? Or a pantry meal, eggs on toast? Jesus cares for us every day if we have eyes to see it now to my shame i can think of many times when i've simply been ungrateful ungrateful i can take god's gifts for granted i can demand more of god so how can we grow a heart of of thankfulness of gratitude so I was reading an article this week which encouraged listing out six things that God has provided for me this past week. Six things that God has provided for me this past week. I thought it was a good idea, so I did it and I'll let, I'll let you know. Six things. God has provided beautiful sunshine and a changing season. Isn't it just lovely to walk outside in the sun? Isn't, it? Isn't that lovely? Um... God has provided chats with friends. Uh, Good friendship is a gift. Uh, God has provided the spectacular side of the gorge. Isn't that amazing? Uh, God has provided me good work to do. I get to study the Bible as my job. How amazing is that? I have the privilege of work. God has provided a great church family. A family who love Jesus. God has provided me with the joy of reading his word. And I've been fed this past week by Jesus. You know, know, we could list out more than six, right? Maybe I'll, I'll whinge a little bit less if I really see how kind and generous God is. And thank him for it. So... Um, We've seen God's provision of life and his provision in an ongoing way, but now God's provision of beauty. Now, this is another point that really stands out in um, chapter 2 in the Eden. So when you think about paradise, when you think about paradise, what do you think about? What do you think about, what is paradise? I bet it's something beautiful, I reckon. I reckon you're thinking about a beautiful place, Maybe pristine white beaches, sun-kissed turquoise waters, misty forest-covered mountains. I reckon that's your picture of paradise, maybe. And that's what we see here, right? In the garden, God creates paradise. Beauty, you see, is got an aspect of God's good provision. So notice verse 9. Notice verse 9. That God not only provides food in the trees, but he also provides trees that were pleasing to the eye. Pleasing, that's such an evocative line. It's a delightful line. Trees that are pleasing to the eye. And even have a look at the gemstones. Look at there, The minerals, verses 11 and 12. And these stones, they pop up later in the Bible. There's a big link there to the temple, the tabernacle, and the priest's clothing. But there's an extravagance in them, right? Why are they mentioned? I mean, you've got this resin, this tree resin gemstone thing. And then the bright green onyx stone. And then you've got glistening, gleaming gold. Gold is absolutely stunning, isn't it? In the garden, God provides, in the world, God provides food to eat. He keeps people alive, but he also provides a sense of joy in just looking at it. The world which God makes is both abundant and beautiful. It's both functional and gorgeous. You know, God isn't just interested in efficiency and, um, as the productivity books say, getting things done. No, yes, he creates man to work, and that's good, that's a good gift. The world is meant to be productive. But as we see here, God is also very generous in providing beauty, aesthetics, and form. God could have made the world in the colour blue. He could have done that. He could have provided us with tablets, little tablets to provide all the nutrients that we need as human beings. He could have made us machines only to be able to do things one way. But what does God give? What does he give? He gives the ingredients for pulled pork and milkshakes and juicy peaches that smell amazing. Now, one of the most adorable things about my youngest child is her sense of wonder at the world. Her sense of wonder. She gets excited with trees and clouds and buses. She has a sense of delight. God makes us as human beings with a sense of delight. We are unique in this way, if you think about it. We value things just because they look nice. Artwork, dancing, football, landscapes, flower gardens. God made us to appreciate things, even things that don't have a productive reason to exist. Yeah? God made us with a capacity to delight in creation. So why is creation beautiful? Why is creation like this so often um, declaring uh, beautiful? Um, Why is creation so abundant? Because it is declaring God's beauty, isn't it? His glory, His splendor. Isaiah 35 verse 2 says, of the creation when the Lord comes, Isaiah 35 says, it will burst into bloom, it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. King David in Psalm 27 um, desires to see the Lord, and he says in verse 4 One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And to seek him in his temple. Creation is beautiful because of, the Lord, because of the Lord who made it that way and because of who he is. So, why do we witness a stunning sunset one day and then a completely different one the next day and yet equally stunning? Why is there such variety in the world, colour? Because it's a gift an overflow of the abundant and gracious Lord we serve. Beauty is in the world to point towards the God who made everything. Creation is filled with beauty because God is the infinitely beautiful one. As one writer puts it, beauty is an incitement to worship, an invitation to praise, an opportunity to give thanks to the Lord who made the world this way. So when we think on the provision of God from Genesis chapter 2, we should thank God for it. This is the response from these words. Think on God's provision and soak in it. Consider what God has done and what he continues to do for this world and let it flow out of you, not with ingratitude or a sense of lack, but with praise, think on God's provision and think on the greatest provision of all, the provision of Christ himself, a saviour, a substitute, a redeemer, the one who pays for our sins, who provides a way back to God and into a new creation, a new Eden to come. Think on Christ, the gift of that is beyond all other gifts. Think on Jesus, for he provides life. He is the life giver. Feed on him the bread of life. Drink on him. He is the one who sustains us and quenches our thirst, never to be thirsty again. Think on Christ, the one who reveals God. Gaze on his beauty by faith and what long for the day when our faith will turn to sight God provides he provides for us provides for our church he provides in every possible way amen